You're listening to a Metro podcast. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. I don't like being called a lady writer. It seems like gallantry to you, but it doesn't feel right to us. We believe survivors. The only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. Welcome to the kind of woman power that sustained our grandmothers for 72 years in their struggle to get the right to vote. Welcome to the new wave of feminism. Welcome to each other. Welcome home. Welcome to Nth Wave, the podcast about women and the media and everything in between. I'm your host, Rosemary Westwood, and coming up, a feature chat with Lainey Gossip, the celebrity and entertainment columnist who does not pull her punches. That's coming up. Welcome to Nth Wave. I'm Rosemary Westward, your host and national columnist for Metro News. There's a part of the media that I don't often engage with, um, and that is celebrity news. I must say, I do read a lot of us and people when I'm at my brother and sister-in-law's house because she loves those magazines. Um, So I get my fix then. Um, But it's a fascinating world for looking at issues of sexism and gender. And one of the best voices and one of the most interesting critics in that space is our guest today. None other than Lainey Gossip, a.k.a. Elaine Louie, the inimitable celebrity and entertainment columnist and co-host of CTV's The Social. Hello. Hello. So great to have you with us. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about TIFF because you've been TIFFing for a few weeks now. It's just wrapping up this weekend. How's it been? It's been really good. Um, I have really had some great moments and that's what TIFF is, right? A collection of moments you can write about and always remember. And yeah, so I've really enjoyed it. I'm so glad. One of the things I want to talk about is is something you've written about, actually, um, about one of the um, films you went to see that had sort of centered around this theme of rape, um, which oddly is kind of quite a predominant theme at TIFF this year, both in the controversy over Birth of a Nation and also in the number of films about rape directed by men, which I think you pegged at three. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the Nate Parker Birth of a Nation... Uh, situation. I haven't seen the the cut that was shown at TIFF, mm. but from what I understand, the rape scene was removed. Interesting. So, but yes, there is a plot point in the film about a character who gets raped, and yes, Nate Parker was the director of that film. Right, and he is also um, sort of been. Uh, taken back in time, really, to this um, allegation and then acquittal of sexual assault when he was at university. Um, And I just wanted to talk about that controversy first, really. Um, I'm really interested in your take on how the media has handled that story. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is not maybe a super ton of information about the alleged victim and, and some, but maybe not too much interest in the voices of his female colleagues on the film. What, what do you think about how that's been covered? Well, initially, it was very poorly 
uh, covered. So initially, at the beginning of August, when they were trying to get ahead of this, a month before TIFF, it was arranged for Nate Parker to do two interviews with Deadline and with Variety. And he was interviewed by men. And in particular, the Deadline piece that re resulted from that interview was extremely insensitive mm. because it was positioned around what Nate Parker's chances at Oscar will be now that we're talking about his past rape allegations. Wow. Um, and it seemed pretty mercenary. Why are we talking about an Oscar campaign? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how are those two compared? He was on trial. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, and in that piece, which is very long, um, the writer seemed to go out of his way to remind the reader how hard Nate Parker worked on this film, how talented Nate Parker is, and it just seemed so insensitive and so tone deaf. And sort of unbalanced in the way, like that, what you're describing right now reminds me very much of what the um, survivor of the Stanford rape um, case was saying about the media coverage of her um, claim and 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 that that court case that she was talking about the way that um, Brock Turner was described as an athlete with all of his future to lose and and she was just the woman who got raped kind of or yes. assaulted in that case yeah that's right and so the situation was already bad to begin with but then that coverage that introduced many people to the fact that rape, or sorry, Nate had this history of rape allegation, it, it, it's, it then grew and grew because that's how many people were introduced to it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and now we've seen, I mean, one of the things that is interesting to me is the way that the, the um, I think it's Fox Searchlight, um, the company behind Birth of a Nation is trying to rein in the coverage around this this controversy and not have them answer too many questions about it. That was kind of well reported at, at TIFF the past, this past week. And I mean, do you do you think that, do you think we're learning anything or is there like a, a, a a good addition to the conversation about rape and sexual assault that we're having as a result of this controversy. I know um, some of his female colleagues have written op-eds. I think someone wrote for the LA Times about it. What, what do you make of that? I do think that the fact that we're talking about this and we're examining it with the eyes of 2016 as opposed to 1999 when the, um, the alleged incident occurred it's great because perspectives have changed and he certainly Nate Parker has had to confront the fact that this is how many people feel about what he did. So I think the discussion is good. The fact that it's become a louder and louder conversation is good. Um, but I do think that there are some negative aspects to it. One of those, as I previously said, is that this has to be a conversation around a, a person's award show chances. Right. Number, number one. Number two, he's not the only person in the Oscar race, if we have to talk about this in the context of Oscar races. He's not the only person in this year's Oscar race who has a problematic history. With sexual assault? With sexual assault and sexual harassment. Mm. 
Who are the uh, other names? Casey Affleck, who is in a film called Manchester by the Sea. Everybody is talking about Manchester by the Sea. It has received rave reviews. There are predictions that it will go all the way to an Oscar Best Picture nomination and that Casey Affleck will be uh, part of the Best Actor discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, Casey Affleck, just a few years ago, about five years ago, was involved in a lawsuit over sexual harassment in which two women accused him of behavior that was sexual in nature, legally actionable, um, and he settled out of court. And part of that settlement was that there was going to be a non-disclosure agreement and that the two women could never talk about this. Right. But this is out there. Um, and these women are respected in the industry and they were firm in their accusations and that, um, and, and they were serious about their claims. And then of course it was settled out of court. So they can't talk. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to jump in here because it seems like you're kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, and it's not something we haven't seen before, but this, I guess, in this really microcosm of this particular season and this particular idea of the Oscar race, this sort of like general sense of um, an accusation um, is really no skin off anyone's back or whatever. It's just like, you know, water off a duck's back, I guess, is the better analogy in terms of the effect it could have on your career. Like you can still be an Oscar contender and it's not the impact is kind of close to zero really in terms of a man's career that's kind of what it sounds like because my point here is that number one Casey Affleck is white and so far there has been very little media coverage about Casey Affleck's allegate the allegations against Casey Affleck in 2010 right very little. Now, that may change as we approach the Oscars and contenders begin to emerge and the race begins to narrow. But Nate Parker has taken all of it. So is there something there to talk about? Yeah, yeah, the racial so biases number one. in that. Yeah, That's right. That's number one. Number two, yes, there is also a discussion about how, what men are able to overcome. So we have seen male artists do some heinous things, particularly against women. And they have gone on to success like the Oscars or financial success or box office success over and over and over again. And will Nate Parker and Casey Affleck be yet another example of that? Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, Charlie Sheen. You can keep going and going and going. I mean, is that, are you, what do you think about that? I mean, are you, because on the one hand, we seem to have a sense about both culture in the United States and Canada where we're beginning to draw lines in the sand and people are beginning to take sexual assault increasingly seriously. And, um, you know, there's, it's, it's um, in vogue to care really. Um, but but yeah, do you like, does that just feel, I guess, not maybe present in some of these cases or I don't know. No, I think as nihilistic as this sounds, I think that this is just the way life has always been. Mm. It is the patriarchy and it is um, not just in Hollywood, but in real life as well. Brock Turner was practically absolved by a judge after being 
convicted of by a jury of raping a young woman who was unconscious behind a dumpster. Now he was convicted and then a judge made sure that his future was protected by not sending him to prison to state prison, but only County jail. And he got out after three months. So it's not just Hollywood. This is life. Yeah. This is our world. Let's let's talk about. I want to take a few minutes to talking about um, kind of a different angle on this, which are which is a few films that are about rape or have rape in them. Not Birth of a Nation, although as you say, that's that is part of it. But I wasn't thinking of that because I was reading some stories that you'd published around this, um, and and the idea that they'd been directed by men and what impact that might have had on the way that the rape was portrayed and the way the women were portrayed and the way the men who raped them were portrayed. Um, can you talk about a few of those films? I think you were in one of them and sitting beside a, a male colleague who was scoffing about how a rape victim would never behave that way, which is sort of, I think, a sentence that if you ever utter at this point, you should just stop. Like, unless you, <laughs> even if you are a survivor, actually, I was going to say, unless you are, but even if you are, I mean, if, if those words ever threaten to exit your mouth, shut it immediately. But, but yeah, tell me about some of these films and, and what you think the, the view on rape is being portrayed in those. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't a me. That was a writer who writes for Lainey Gossip, and she went to the oh, screening. Oh, I apologize. Okay. So it's okay. It's on the, the website. I know what happened. I know the film. But yes. So Sarah, the writer who uh, writ, wrote the review for the film Una on LaineyGossip.com, was sitting beside a man who expressed disbelief that a rape victim would behave in a certain way. Um, the film is based on a play called Blackbird, and it's about a 13-year-old girl who is um, sexually preyed upon by a neighbor who is a full-blown adult. And she, at the time, when she's young, thinks she's in love with him. He ends up going to prison and then moving away and starting a new life. And she ends up being scarred by the whole experience and her life focuses around this, this thing that happened. Right. And then as an adult, she goes to confront him and they have to examine the gray area, so to speak. And this is the language that the filmmakers are using. They have to examine the gray area in, in this situation. And ultimately, the, the, uh, it's a difficult film. And ultimately, what you have to ask yourself is, does a rapist deserve absolution? Um, and what would that look like? And so, to, yeah, I mean, that's the film. It's very difficult. To um, watch, you mean, yeah. It's very difficult to watch, and it's very difficult to process. And what we're hearing is that men and women are processing it in different ways. Which, but again, it's, it's timely. It's bringing up a conversation that should happen. Um, but yes, the reactions are definitely interesting, because even as we saw during the Gian Gomeshi trial, there were people, members of the public, who doubted the victims because they said themselves, well, if he really did that to her, why would she do this, that, and the other? Right, as exactly. If right. As if there's a prescribed formula for rape victim behavior, right. which there isn't. Although people seem to be on a learning curve with that, for sure. I mean, does it, does it strike you as important that these films um, are being directed by men. Una's one of them. Um, trying to remember. Is Brimstone another? 
Um, and then there was a, th- a third. Um, does it does it straight? I mean, that's one of the points that I guess Sarah was was making in her piece, and and might have been addressed in the one about brimstone as well. And this idea of of men behind the camera, um, and is that like not that they can't be, but um, I mean, it is interesting, I guess. Um, and and I wonder what effect a women more women director on you know stories like this would have. And I don't know. Is that is that an interesting question to ask? Do you think? I think that I don't want. I don't know that I can make a definitive statement over whether or not men should be directing stories like this. I don't know that I can definitively say, and I don't know if that's fair. What I do think is interesting is the question that Sarah asks in her Brimstone review, which is, why do so many men want to direct rape narrative? Yeah. So that might be the question. Do you have answers or or thoughts around that? And. And I don't know, I'm not a man, yeah, but it right. certainly <laughs> seems to be a plot point or a, a scene that comes up a lot in films directed by men. Yeah. Actually, I was watching an old Downton Abbey the other night, and it's the one where Anna gets um, raped by a fellow service person. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I didn't think about it at the time, but you're right. I mean, give a give a movie or a series long enough and somebody gets raped. Like, really, that's... But it's not, I don't want to sit here and just be like, it's because men are writing the stories and blah, blah, blah. It's also in a show like Outlander, which is a television series that most is mostly watched by women and is fantasy for women. And many women love this show. And yet I, my complaint about that show and the reason I don't watch it is because every episode bears rape fear. The main character, both of them, are in danger of being raped on every episode. Right. Which maybe was was true for certain periods of time, but that makes for an exhausting kind of psychological space to jump into every time, I'm sure. Never mind for people who've actually um, been through a sexual assault. Anyway, I'm sure it's a very good show because many people I respect enjoy it, Mm. but I have had conversations with them and I have said... "Um, do I have to be afraid every episode that someone might get raped? And they agreed that there is some of that, but there are redeeming qualities in the series. So I don't want to shit on it completely, but I'm just, you know, it's just an observation. I just, just just to wrap this a bit up, because we do want to move on to Jennifer Aniston, which is the reason um, we got in touch a long time ago with you. Um, But just this idea of, of the, the number of uh, films with, where rape is a part of it or the a central theme. Um, I'm kind of wondering if you think that, that this is quite new or is it just an odd, odd timing? Like, are we in a place now where different, um, it's going to be much more common or much more expected that interesting and different and more nuanced or whatever portrayals of, of people um, who've been raped will be out there or people who have raped someone. Is that, is, are we in this, is this new, I guess is my, my question or do you not think it is? I don't think it's new. Um, I think we're just talking about it more, mm. but I, I don't think that I'll give you an, but uh, how do I say this? I'm, I'm in my office right now and I'm staring at, um, uh, uh, what do I call it? Like a little head piece that I got from a junket I covered from a film called Maleficent. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, a film that was geared, I guess, to children, 
but it's starring Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And have you seen it? I I remembered it, but I didn't see it. I like I okay. you know I saw the ads. What can I say? It's like seeing the so, headlines and not reading the story. So it's like a Disney film, right? Right. And yeah. So Maleficent was a fairy, and she was happy and young, and she had wings. And then she trusted the wrong person, and one night, while she was sleeping, he cut off her wings. Mm. And she lost the ability to fly, and it fundamentally changed her soul. Now, this is a fairy tale, and when kids watch it, they just see that Maleficent's wings, in quotes, were taken away from her. Mm. Adults, and I think more sensitive adults who watch it, see it as a rape allegory. Right. So, that's a Disney story. (laughs) So you can see that throughout storytelling, since storytelling began, these have come up. And I don't, I don't fault Maleficent for telling that story. In fact, I think it was a very cleverly told rape allegory mm. and how women have to overcome it, what society does to women to silence them and to ground them. She didn't have her wings. She was grounded. Right. But I, I, if you ask me, is it just a new thing that we're talking about rape? We're seeing rape portrayed. I'm, I might have to say no, because there are so many stories that you can recount from more than just in the last two years that sure. have these kinds of storylines. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I do realize that it's not that no one's, you know, written or, or dramatized it before, but, um, but that's interesting. Okay, let's move on to Jennifer Aniston because we have about five minutes left and we really want to get to this. Um, I, this was back in the summertime when she wrote that op-ed for the Huffington Post and she was complaining about this idea that she was defined based on her marital and maternal status. Um, and you wrote a pretty scathing, I would say, um, return to that. And and I, um, I, I really appreciated reading it. So, I mean, in, in Cole's notes, you were just kind of saying like, you know... Um, Yes, there might be double standards for men and women in celebrity culture, but to what extent has Jennifer Aniston been a willing participant of those standards in the past? Am I getting that right? Is that kind of Yes. Yeah. So like what do you think what do you think of that? Because one of the A, one of the things that happened was that she just got so much love. And I and when I saw your piece, it was posted by someone on Facebook who said, Don't go all rah rah Jennifer Aniston until you've read this piece. Um I guess I wonder what kind of feedback you got from him actually. What 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 were people saying to you after you published that? Well, I received the expected blowback from uh, women who thought I wasn't being supportive and on side. Mm. I received blowback from fans of Jennifer Aniston. Right. And then I received support. Yes, you're totally right. The way that... Definitely, celebrities have legitimate grievances. Of course they do. Some of them do. But... The way that celebrity life is structured is that it's always them talking at the audience, and the audience doesn't get to talk back and have and engage in a two-way discussion about whatever the issue is. So they get to just have their say and cherry-pick what they want, want to say, and they don't get, ever get to be challenged. And I don't think real change can happen unless that conversation is, is, is taking place with 
more than a participant who has one perspective. It's it's really. I just want to take some of the quotes here, just for anyone who wouldn't have um, read it. Um, you you quoted um, Jennifer's piece um, where she's talking about the message that girls are not pretty unless they're incredibly thin and they're not worthy of our attention unless they look like a supermodel or an actress on the cover of magazine. And you write. Who, who's sending that message? The media, the fans, the bloggers, all of them? Sure. And who else? Who else belongs in that question? Who else is a member, a central member of the ecosystem? The celebrity Jennifer Aniston. And you say your objection to her rant is um, because it's all about pointing fingers instead of having any kind of self-reflection. I thought that was a really great um, line. And I like the idea of it as an ecosystem, too, this idea that maybe everybody's complicit or, or participating. And so how do you change something if you're all part of what makes there a level of toxicity to it? And and I I don't know if people can appreciate that because she's so beloved. Right. Yeah. Well, you pointed out a number of covers that really show this and, uh, you know, interviews she gave about how excited she was to have a family after she and and Brad uh, broke up. And, you know, I do feel like you made your argument, I have to say. I mean, maybe there were a lot of people who weren't convinced, but. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I just think that, you know, when you yourself are um, reintroducing yourself to the public after a divorce, and the way that you reintroduce yourself is on the cover of a men's magazine, barely dressed. The message is, I'm still hot. Right. And she has every right to pose and wear as many or as little clothes as she wants to on the cover of a men's magazine. But I'm going to read a message from the timing of that photo and what she looks like in that photo. Because a photo doesn't talk, or sorry, a photo is not an essay, a photo is conveying a message through the image. So when you're not wearing any clothes and you're newly single and you're like, I've bounced back, it tells me you have bounced back by being hot. I just want to, yeah, I just want to ask one last question. We're almost out of time. And and the sort of the bigger thought that I had when I was um, thinking about this was what... Uh, what, how you could do it well, like were I to magically become a celebrity and were I to love my sexuality and my body and not care and want to be sexy or want to be naked even, like, A, like, you know, who cares in a way, really? But B, like, given, if the, if the ecosystem itself, like, is just kind of portraying all these really sort of damaging stereotypes for women all the time, um, and I, by whatever factor, would be complicit in that, like, is there a way to to be, like, how, I guess, how do you win? Like, is there a win for her? Or, you know, do you have to, I don't know. I, I'm just confused about, I guess, give, given what you're saying, like, how, how any celebrity could not be also part of the problem if they wanted their their physical body and their sexuality to be something that they are comfortable with sharing or, or exposing. You know what I mean? I, I don't know that there's, a clean answer to that. But I, I think that from someone like Jennifer Aniston, what I would have appreciated was a little acknowledgement that her industry and her peers and the world she wants to stay in is a part of the problem. Instead of just like media bad, fans bad, this bad. Right. 
I would have just appreciated one line that said, I, I work among people who reinforce these shitty ideals. And I resolve to not be on their team anymore. And this is what I want to start doing. And believe me, I will start changing from within. And I hope that you can change out there too. But there was no acknowledgement of that. You know, it was all like, I've done the right thing and I'm right all the time and you guys suck. Well, I, I hope someone forwarded your article to her. I, I doubt it. I don't know if that ever <laughs> happens. Part of being a celebrity is having people around you that tell you that you're right all the time. Which... To be honest, sounds both like the absolute best and absolute worst thing ever. Coming as someone who loves my own thoughts, that's that does sound like a terrible, an actually terrible <laughs> place to be. Um, I want to thank you so much. Um, we're out of time. But, Lainey, we really appreciate your time, and I'm glad you had a great time at TIFF, and it's so great to get to talk with you about some of these I'm, issues on Nthwave. I wish we could keep talking. Me I, too. I, and I'd love to do this again, so please Definitely hit me up and, and maybe we can do a part two. I love that. I love that so much. Have a great last weekend at TIFF. Thanks. Lainey Gossip, a.k.a. Elaine Louie, is the celebrity and entertainment columnist known for her blog, Lainey Gossip, and she's also co-host of CTV's The Social. Endwave is made by Metro News Canada. It was produced by me, Rosie, and recording, editing, and post-production was done by Outloud Post-Production. Our theme song was written by Jonah Falco. Matt LaForge is our stalwart leader. You can reach us and find all our episodes via Twitter. Our handle is at Enthwave Podcast. This is Enthwave. I'm Rosemary. We'll talk to you next time. This has been a Metro podcast.